How are we doing, team? Welcome back to the Top Step. My name is Ryan Roland Smith. Really fun episode. Uh, this one, someone who I love talking to. I get a chance to talk to him and his buddies. Three uh, thirty on seven ten ESPN. Three thirty every Tuesday. It's Mr. Dave Wyman, and I feel like every time I'm talking to Dave, whether it's on the radio or just yeah you know, through text messages or whatever, I feel like I should be drinking a beer. That's what it kind of feels like. I felt like, you know, when we taped this episode, he had a show to get to, so we couldn't just be slamming beers, but I'm like, man, this would be a great episode. Yeah, if we could have a few beers, maybe do it in person one of these days, but um, a lot of fun. So Dave Wyman played nine years in the NFL, played for the Seahawks. We all know that here in Seattle. Uh, then he went on to the Denver Broncos, but we got into it, man. We talked about making that transition out of an NFL career, how tough that was. He got into financial advising and, and he just kind of said he felt like a fish out of water. Um, and he hated the game too. It was interesting. He said how much he just didn't like the game. Um, he said he felt like he was standing on that dock when the ship left opening day um, in 1995. But anyway, we dive into a bunch and we, and we get, you know, we have a few laughs. It's not all depressing stuff. We do talk about COVID. We do talk about how he feels about schools getting back. Um, he was, I had some pretty bold things to say about that. Um, it was awesome. Anyway, a couple updates before we get into Dave. Um, hey, thanks for the messages too on on the website. Yeah, a lot of people have written me messages on the contact sec- section at uh, www.thetopstep.com. I appreciate it, man. Got some some really good feedback, a couple of questions. Um, we'll get to them actually. Um, now, Terry asked me about Jared Kelnick. Will he make the opening day roster? Now, this is a Mariners question. I know we've got... Uh, a lot of people listening from Australia and other parts of the world, but um, you're going to have to find out, dude. We've got baseball in less than a week. I can't believe it. My mug's going to be back on TV. I can't wait. I've been missing it massively. I'm going to do some TV and radio uh, this week. Uh, next couple of days, actually, I'm doing a pregame, um, preseason or summer camp game uh, from the studio. And then I'm doing uh, opening day against the Astros on Friday. So if you're in Seattle or you're watching MLB TV, uh, make sure you tune in and join us and root sports cannot wait to get back with the crew cannot wait it's gonna be fun um so you're gonna have to wait dude i can't give you that answer just yet don't blow me up um jared asked if i'll still be doing this podcast once the season starts you bloody betcha mate of course i am doing these but i've got so many people who who want to jump on they've listened a lot of friends of mine um around baseball and different sports and and different walks of life that i can't wait uh, to have on the show. It's going to be fun. So yeah, absolutely. Man. I'm having so much fun doing this. It's been so good. It's been good for me too, man. I know something Dave Wyman and I talk about, um, you know, isolation and dealing with that and, and um, yeah, depression and things, all these weird little things that uh, I've been pretty lucky, but I will say um, just doing this weekly uh, it's just helped me out, man. It's just, it's just got me inspired. That's the point of this podcast to inspire you, to motivate you and give you some funny stories along the way. Speaking of, I'll get to this one. Vicky said, I love the interview with Paul Sylvie on King five. So I did a thing with, with Paul Sylvie. I was on his podcast and did some stuff on King five last week. Um, she said, I love the interview with Paul Sylvie on King five laughed so hard. And then went back and listened to a couple episodes on my morning drive and the episode with Grant Balfour, uh, was seriously the hardest I've laughed in months. Thank you so much for a fun listen and look forward to the next episode. Vicky, thank you. Now, the Balfour episode does sound like, I talked about drinking a beer here with Dave Wyman. It does feel like we're just sitting at a pub. Just, It's pretty funny. He's a funny dude. He's coming back on the show for sure. He's too funny. Uh, big Grant Balfour. He, um, he played 10 years in the big leagues. You don't know who he is. Crazy Australian, Balfour age. 
too funny. Um, now, Greg, a lot of people ask me about D Gordon. If I can get D Gordon on the show, I'd love to. I'll ask him once we get started. I'm going to ask D to, to come on. And Greg from New Zealand. Now, Greg, don't get mad at the jersey. If you're watching this, guys, um, you can see the jersey. If you're listening to it, I've got a Wallabies jersey on. All right, go check it out. It's going to be on my Facebook page on the Ryan Roland Smith Facebook page. That's where I'm posting these videos lately. Um, some funny stuff. I'm, I'm adding little things to the videos too. So make sure you go check it out. You can also check out the cartoon I made. I need to make more, speaking of Grant Balfour. Um, but yeah, man, it's just been, it's, last week was a good week. I got back into a nice little routine. I'm so excited about getting back to the MLB season starting. I can't tell you. I got back into boxing too. I, I mentioned this on the last episode with Charlie Furbush. Um, I'm, I'm back in the, into the boxing and it's not because I'm, you know, looking for a title fight or anything like that. Such a good workout. It's just such a good release. Emerald city boxing up the street from where I live here in Greenwick. Uh, those guys are awesome. Russ, Chloe, they a great setup. Doesn't matter. All walks of life. And again, this is not a paid ad or anything like that. I just, I think these guys are awesome and they got such a good setup and it's just a good vibe in there. If you're in Seattle and you want to come join me, I'm going to set something up. I want to do like a, a thing where we do a workout. If you're a Mariners fan, you can come in and box with me. You don't have to spar with me, but come in, do a workout or just hang out, come check it out. Once we open back up, I think phase three, who knows what's happening with phase three at the moment. I know um, Governor Inslee is going to change the rules. Maybe it's only groups of 10. I'm not quite sure. But we're setting it up, man. I want to set it up where if you're a Mariners fan or you're just a, you, know, you just want to come hang and, and, and have a boxing session, it's so therapeutic. It's awesome. I'm so glad I'm back into it. Uh, post a video on, the, um, on my Instagram page too. If you go to Instagram.com slash hyphen 18, just like my Twitter handle, you can check it out. Now, speaking of plugs, right again speaking of plugs i've got to plug the podcast click the subscribe button if you're watching this on youtube or facebook or, or, I, I, don't know, I don't even know what i'm doing the video on but if you're listening go on apple give me a review dude. it helps out so much uh, give me a review uh, apple spotify google play stitcher whatever you're listening on and click the subscribe button, man, so we can keep these coming um, and get some good guests. But uh, again, I'm just really excited. I'm starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know it's been a crazy time for everyone. We need some, uh, you know, we need some boxing in our life. We need some baseball. We need some sport. Uh, Dave and I talk about that a lot. Anyway, so I get to my next guest here in a second. But Dave Wyman, what an absolute legend, killing it with the Seahawks. Um, he was doing pre and post. He's now doing in-game stuff. He's at, uh, it's Bob. Dave and more at uh, in the afternoon show on 710 ESPN. I join them every Tuesday at 3.30, and I'm not lying when I say this. It used to be Danny O'Neill. Bob's the man. Uh, I love jumping on with him at 3.30. It's such a blast. It's one of my favorite parts of doing the broadcasting I have in the week. Um, oh, hey, forgot to mention too. If on August 3rd, depending on what happens with this phase three, I've got a baseball camp happening. Trent Olchin, um, who he's my business partner at nextgenbaseball.com. Uh, him and I, we do a ton of stuff for kids in Australia. We have got an awesome baseball camp where we're both coaching. People ask me this all the time. If we actually coach, yes, we do. We're there in the trenches every single day with the kids. If you know kids, you have kids. Uh, if you want to come hang out at Hidden Valley, August 3rd. Um, and uh, shoot me a message on uh, thetopstep.com and I can send you the info. Uh, we'd love to have you. There's still spots available. We're going to figure out how we're going to do it. We may have to do it in groups of 10, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to make it happen. Um, all right, guys, enjoy this episode uh, as Dave Wyman joins me on the top step. We'll see you next week. 
No matter what happens, Ryan Roland Smith has something to tell his grandkids right here. First appearance of the big leagues. <laughs> Face Hall, Hall of Famer. Famer. <laughs> Especially if he strikes them out. Here comes the one-two pitch to Junior now. The breaking ball. He struck him out. Yeah, that will be a story for the rest of his life <laughs> as he strikes out Ken Griffey Jr. And the inning is over. But what an inning it was. And You'll never say that I'm not killing them. Dave, welcome, buddy. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I was wondering when you were going to, you know, finally ask me to come on the Bogan, uh, what do you call it, a podcast? Is that what you call this? What do you call this thing? It's the Bogan Hour. By the way, I've got to say, sp speaking of the fact that the word Bogan comes up on a weekly basis, my mom, who usually be like, oh, stop calling yourself a Bogan. She loves it, by the way. She, she'll tune in, listen, if she can get on, like, stream it. And she's like, oh, I actually like the fact that they, you know, they bring that term up. <laughs> So, I got so you to basically, think. yeah, it's like calling you a hillbilly, right? Pretty, yeah, pretty sort much. Of, yeah. yeah, that's the, yeah, perfect. Which, yeah. which well, deep I, down, I dubbed you that when, <laughs> yeah. when I saw you at the, the monster truck with your beautiful wife and children, this model looking family looked like they just stepped out of a catalog. <laughs> and then I look and, and there's cars that are on fire. There's one big uh, monster truck that's eating another one. And wow, you, your wife, I'll tell you what. Yeah, and, she's and, she's tolerant. I, she loves it more than me. Dude. Come on, let's go. Like, come on. And the fact that I had, I was getting some looks from here and there from you know select few, but I had my, you know my son was a newborn. He had the big earmuffs on. I'm thinking to myself, right. oh, is this is this bad? The fact that because it was loud, dude. I love loud noise. I'm like, oh, this this isn't good. But the first person that and that was down at Puyallup at the uh, I think it was like the state fair. I'm, I'm trying to remember the time of year. But the first person I thought of was you. I was like, oh, man, I'm going to send Dave a photo. She's like, who? <laughs> She's like, honored. it's funny because that came right after too. I think, I think it was the year before that. I lose track of time. I was on a camping trip and you commented on a photo. It was like an RV with like a little grill. Blue hey, tarps. Exactly. A mongrel, a mongrel tied up to the back bumper. <laughs> exactly. That's it. And by the way, I have a, a prop for you because we were talking last night. Check this out. This is from last night. Now, if you're not watching this at home, you got to you can go and check it. It's a propane tank with a little grill okay. out the front, a couple of deck chairs. So there you go. Oh, okay. All right. You got yeah, your it, propane grill. There you go. It, it's it's embedded down there, just a straight bogan. But uh, speaking <laughs> speaking of that, I know, so I, I jump on with you, Bob, and uh, Jim every week. And I've said this before. I said it's like my, my favorite part of the week, jumping on. And it was, it was you, Danny, and and Jim last year. And uh, I love Bob. So it's really, I'm, I do miss Danny. I'm, I'm going to say I do miss him. I don't really hear him in the, in the mornings. But um, you guys this year, obviously doing it from home, I, there's a different, and obviously we're all, you know, been dealing with this isolation and everything else. How hard is it doing that show when you guys, that afternoon show on 710 ESPN, it's all about, you know, that, that chemistry and, and some humor involved. How hard is it doing, doing that from home? Well, we've kind of weaved it into the show and made it almost like a funny part of it because, right. uh, like I always say, you know, Jim's technology sucks that he has, but so there's a delay there, but also there's a delay in Jim's brain 
that's built in. Right. And, and here's another funny thing. So we just kind of tease each other about it. The funny thing is at the station, when we're all together, Jim will, what we call freight train, where he'll just start talking right through you. But for some reason now, if anybody starts to talk, even if I go up like that, he'll stop. Right. Gotcha. We just joke around about that and we uh, text each other and, you know, Bob has a middle finger that he texts to Jim every once in a while. So uh, we, we all get along really well. Jim and I are like old war buddies. I mean, right. you know, I told him the other day, I don't think there's anything that you could say to me that would piss me off because right. we've known each other yeah. for so long. And, uh, and then, you know, having Bob, um, I really bonded with Bob. You, you're right. We, we really miss Danny and I miss yeah. all of the things about him, but Bob and I bonded at the Super Bowl, uh, in Super Bowl 48 in New York, where mm -hmm. we went back there and we happened to partner up and just loved it. Bob is one of those guys that will ask you 500 questions before you even ask him one, you know, he's just, he's, yeah. it's not very often. Usually people want to talk about themselves. Right. Yeah. And Bob will just dig in like, you know, oh, how old's your daughter? Well, what's she doing? And I mean, he just, uh, right. I, I love that quality about him and yeah. that's what makes him so good. So yeah, it's, uh, it's worked out really well. And once we knew Danny was going to take off, but Jim and I both were like, we need Bob. We need Bob Stelton. So uh, okay. we, we got him and, um, yeah, and it's been great. And we've really been having fun. You know, you talk about working from home. It's just, um, I didn't realize how much I miss people. Yeah. You know, being oh. The interaction. And I've been around, I've probably three, four times, you know, taken the risk of hanging out with I had my family over one time because my son was, uh, went to Hawaii for three months. So I wanted everybody to meet his girlfriend and everything. And so my whole family came over and the other time um, my wife and I were down in Palm Springs and she has an 88 year old aunt right. and she wanted to see Shannon. And, you know, and I said, look, make sure are they, are they okay with this? And they're yeah. absolutely, we're okay. And this was three weeks ago. We went to dinner, had them over to our house. They've been married for 65 years, her wow. aunt and uncle. And um, yeah, they, they were like, look, you know, I'll take the risk. I, I need to see you when she needed yeah. to see her, her great niece. So, you know, that's um, those kinds of times in the last four months have been really precious. I don't mean to sound too corny, but like just the times you get together with yeah. people. And I thought I would be fine with social distancing, distancing. I've always said, yeah, I've been social distancing my whole life. <laughs> my wife has to drag me to parties. She has to drag me to social engagements. But now I realize that, man, I just, I miss being yeah. around people. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you. And just back to, you know, back to, you mentioned Jim Moore sometimes. And last year, obviously, when you guys were in the studio, I get that feeling when I'd get asked a question, you know, from Danny, who was there in 2019 or you, I'd be answering it. I just feel like I just picture in my head, Jim sitting in the corner of that studio, just shaking his head, rolling his eyes at my answer. You know what I'm saying? So no. now that he's, now that he's sitting at home, it's like, he can't do that. So I feel like I'm, there's like a, you know, a little surge of confidence given that answer. Cause I'm waiting for his whatever question he's going to throw at me and, you know, he usually tries to rip on my career or whatever it is. Yeah, I just, yeah. I just find man, like the, the thought of, and you, you said it too. I'm like you, uh, it's in, in the past it was, Hey, we're going to go to this or do that. I just don't like, uh, I just, it, not that I didn't like being around people, but man, it was a bit of a struggle. Once I got there, I was okay. But this whole, yeah. the, what I'm reading now is that, you know, companies are talking about, oh, well, once this COVID-19 goes away, everyone's going to work from home. That's going to be the new trend. And I'm sitting there going, man, that's depressing, it right? Yeah. It really is. I get it. You want to save money from office space and everything else. But like your, your show, you couldn't do it from home long term, right? 
I mean, there's got to be a productivity factor. What do, you, what do you think? I mean, do you feel like the chemistry is way better when you guys are in person and you can get way more out of it? Do you feel like there's, it's lacking yeah. that? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And, I don't, you know, the, the only reason I was like, well, there's lots of people that do shows um, across the country yeah. that, um, that are usually not in studio, but it right. certainly helps. And then, you know, um, some of the things that are said uh, during the breaks – and what you talk about yeah. and some of the, yeah. and a lot of times we'll come back on and we'll be laughing and it'll be because something that was said during the break, you know? So, yeah, I think, I think you, you need to eventually get back together and yes. hopefully, you know, that's what we'll learn maybe coming out of this. And again, coming from me, <laughs> you know, my, my, uh, my mom, I was going to wear this t-shirt my mom sent me and it was, uh, it says, I'm not angry. This is just my face. I'm and gonna then post the other that one. photo, by the way. Not post it. Okay. I'm, gonna put it on, I'm gonna put it on this YouTube version of this, of this podcast. Yeah. And then the other Love one, it. she, the other one she sent me said it's too peoply in here. <laughs> and so, uh, and that's kind of how I've always been. But again, like like I said, you know, it's just been um, the moments where I've gotten together with people, yeah. and even in a Zoom call like this. I mean, it's yeah. uh, usually we're just talking to each other yeah. over the radio or on the phone or texting or emailing or whatever. But just to see somebody's face and to be around somebody. Uh, I think we're all learning how valuable that is. Do you guys do the show where you can see each other over like a Zoom or something like that? Or no, you can't see each other? Well, <laughs> it's kind of a sore subject because I know Bob really wants to do that. And I think Jim has done it. I'm the one who hasn't been good at that right. because I'm looking at different things on my computer. Yeah. And the, the team's meeting like this would be on my computer. So I think... Right you know, signaling each other and things. I think we need to try that. So yeah. I'm going to have to give in and actually do what everybody else wants to do. But um, yeah, that's something that, the, that they've done, but we've mostly just texted each other. Hey, yeah. I got another question here or whatever. So, right. I, um, I do miss the Friday afternoons at you know, Edgar's, even if yeah. I wasn't supposed to go on and you know, Jessamine would, would hit me up. Hey, you want to come down? I'm like, yeah, for sure. Because it was just, it's kind of like for me, anytime I feel like I do a better job when I'm checking in with people, if I'm doing stuff in person, yeah, I just feel better about if I'm answering a question or something like that. And then, yeah, the, the humor is easier. Sometimes I'm, I'm trying to crack some joke over the phone or, you know, in with you guys. I'm like, oh, I need a laugh here or something. There's a delay yeah. and it just doesn't. But doing that kind of helps to, because I'm supposed to join you guys, you know, 3.30 on a Tuesday. But it just helps to sort of check in, have a conversation in between breaks and everything else. And just right. kind of have that, that kind of chemistry. But I just, just the thought, man, of like, yeah, and everyone's like, oh, this is great. Everyone can work from home. I'm like, there's got to be side effects to that. People need to separate. I'm right now, I'm, I'm, I'm in a room where I sleep in this room, right? Yeah. So bedroom, I, I have to have, this is my place to sleep and this is my place to go work and this is my place to, right. you know, like it, it's just doing them all at the same spot is just depressing. And I just hope this isn't like the trend 10 years from now, you, you have to sit with three monitors around you and no one leaves their room. Do, yeah. do, do my head in. You know what I mean? Well, totally. And that's the same thing I do. Usually I do my, um, my show up in my bedroom. So, I mean, I could literally every day sleep until one right. in my bed, <laughs> walk over, start doing research for the show and travel like 10 feet right. and then theoretically go right back to bed. But yeah, it's, um, I think that's one of the things that we're figuring out with, um, you know, some of the side effects of, yeah. of the lockdown. I mean, the, the coronavirus itself is scary, but there's a lot of statistics out there that are not only disturbing, but some of them are disgusting. And, you know, we're talking about 
uh, suicide um, hot hotlines for teenagers yeah. calls up 300 to 900 percent um, child abuse um, visits to emergency rooms for child abuse is up 35 percent not to mention yeah. poverty overdoses suicides crime I mean there's all kinds of other side effects sociologically that are going along with this now look everybody you know look we have to be safe about this thing but there's I, I just think you know maybe two three years from now we're going to look back and look at what was worse, the coronavirus itself or the side effects from, yeah. from the lockdown? And I'm not talking about being irresponsible and going out and not wearing. I'm not a rebel that's yeah. going to go out without yeah. my mask on or anything like that. But I just think, you know, here, here's the thing. When you bring that up, people get mad. And, right. and what I like to say is we can hold more than one thought in our head at the same time, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, nobody wants anyone to die from the coronavirus, but we can also consider these other things too. And it's not taking any, anything away from our attention to the coronavirus. Yeah. It's not taking anything. There's not like this bank of sympathy that we're withdrawing from by mentioning these other things. You know, and I'll just yeah. like mental health and, you know, and everybody will probably laugh at this. My wife just loves tennis. She loves playing and yeah. her whole thing got canceled until next February. Yeah. You know, I mean, those kinds of things have effects on people and that's probably the, the least of our worries, but still, you know, mental health, all kinds of things that go along with that. That doesn't mean that I'm, you know, anti-lockdown and that I'm going to go out and be this rebel and yeah. some crazy hillbilly that doesn't wear his, you know, mask and spreads it and everything. It's just that it's something I think we should consider. And, and yeah. like for us, Ryan, I mean, you mentioned not leaving your, your house, but also we need sports, right? I mean, sports 100%, is, man. yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it, it, you make a great point. I feel like, and, and that this is nothing to the fact that I'm Australian, so I don't want to sit here and, and, and start passing judgment on the US, but in this country, there's no gray area or there's no in between. Like you, you said, it, if you got, come out and say, hey, look, mental health's a big thing. You have to make sure that this gets some, some plate. Child abuse or all these little things, depression, isolation, all, all these little factors that come into you know, as well as the fact that, yeah, I get it, man. I, and I'm, I'll wear a mask and, and no problem and everything else. Sure. And this, and COVID it's a serious thing and, and everything else. But, but these other things, like you said, gets, get no play. But the thing is, if you come out and publicly say that all of a sudden, like you said, it's like, you're, you're being completely, Oh, you know, like you said, like a rebel. And uh, yeah, it, it's amazing. It, yeah. It, it's, it's one of these. And you said, I think right. years from now you look back and, and, hopefully unless this thing's bigger than what we we know it is but these things are going to be make a way bigger impact and you said about the tennis too and if i came out and said so i just started boxing again i got i was i used to box when i was a kid emerald city boxing up the road it's been great so i've been going in eight o'clock you have to wear a mask you have to and they're, they're really good about keeping everyone distant but i just need that release man i need to whether it's just you know punching something or a yeah. workout i need that release because <laughs> my head i'm i'm going sideways here and the other fact you just mentioned at the end is sports, man. I am, you know, we're supposed to start up next Friday and I'm like, I want to get to the field. I want to get amongst something I've been around my whole life. You know, yeah. it's, it's crazy what it does to your head. It's nuts. Right. Well, and it, the thing I worry about with sports, Ryan, in this country, I mean, <laughs> I was talking to Michael Bumpus about this, what, um, you know, about some of the things that are going around, on around the world, like around the world, they're opening schools and without yeah. hesitation. Yeah. And, um, and you know, he said, yeah, we do things differently here, but you know, I mean, it's, um, 
it's kind of a panicky country right now. And so, yeah, there, there's, uh, there's different things that are, that are going on here. There's lots of fear and, um, and rightfully so, but, um, yeah, it's just, uh, there's not much rational thought right now, but like you said, you know, people will, you know, I said some, I sent you a guy here. Here's a guy that I follow. His name is Dr. Scott Atlas. And the reason why I follow him because somebody, you know, I, I, you know, quoted some of his, his statistics and things that he's saying. And somebody, you know, was texting, Oh, did you get this guy from Fox news or where'd you find this guy? I'm like, well, he's a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute, which is one of the brightest think tanks in the world. He also teaches medicine at Stanford university at their medical school. So, you know, and he has a totally different view. I saw him this morning, I think, or yesterday, and Nancy Pelosi was standing there, a politician saying, we can't open the schools, it's going to spread. And then he is saying the exact opposite of that. And, um, you know, he's um, quoting like countries all over the world. So, you know, look, it just depends on um, how much risk you want to take. I mean, I'm sure there'll, there'll be something that happens when you open up, but, but weighing that versus locking down children and all the side effects that go along with that, not to mention, you know, kids just learning how to interact with other kids, Yeah. you know, but then also uh, a lot of people who are experiencing poverty, they don't have two laptops at home and a lot of them aren't logging into the, um, you know, to the, some of the websites, I, I'm, you know, look, I got grown kids, but I love children and I care about it. And I think, you know, schools are an essential business. Yeah. And in the last time I checked, it's for the children. Right. It's not, it's not for the teachers. The well, teachers. Well, he, can, he's, he, he's the, he's the argument is like, oh yeah, but what about the teachers? They're going to get sick because right. you mentioned, you know, Dr. Atlas. And first of all, one of the things that's crazy, zero to 19, zero percent fatalities right. and then now they're starting to figure out which again doesn't get much play because it's not something that's going to you know get, get your rating spike but the fact that the transmission from kids into into adults really is slim to none right, right. that's what they're finding around the world yeah actually yeah and, and he likes to quote jama pediatrics which is kind of a pediatric health website you know similar to like a cdc type of thing um that yeah supports that. So yeah, it's um, it, it's th- see, and that's what I worry about, like with opening up sports. So Jim and I had this conversation the other day, and it, you know, like I respect Jim's, and and he he might be right, but you know, he said even if one, let's say we open up college football, mm-hmm. even if one college football player dies from the coronavirus, it's one too many, and that we should lock it down. Yeah, and that that's a tough question because somebody texted in and go, well, what if it was your your son? You know, and my response was, well, since we seem to know the future here, I would tell them don't play. But I mean, yeah, it's just it's an interesting argument, though. And, you know, and I came back with, okay, so if you knew 10 people were going to die over the next 10 years in college football from coronavirus, would you just shut down college football? So, I mean, and look, these are some tough questions. Do I have all the answers? I don't. If, you know, if if somebody had all the answers, we we would be out of this thing. But it's just interesting how people feel about that because, you know, you're going to have to face some hard facts at some point of, you know, what is an appropriate amount of risk to take with this thing? And right now it seems like people's tolerance for risk with the coronavirus is zero. But yeah. their risk, you know, their tolerance for risk and other things that are affected, yeah, 
little bit, you know, a little bit higher. So yeah, it's a, it's a really weird time that we're in. And again, I'm just saying what I believe that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Okay. <laughs> because a lot of people will, <laughs> yeah. like if they disagree with you, they just attack you, you know, yeah. and I don't know if that's because of the lockdown or just because of the culture on Twitter and everything. I just found out about cancel culture, Ryan. And I think I explained it to you, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Right before we got on, or, which, which I'm glad you brought up because again, you know, like the whole thing, you know, like Drew Brees made a comment and then there was this cancel Drew Brees. And I asked you, I was like, Hey, is cancel, is this in you? Like, I don't know anything about the NFL. Yeah. I was like, is this a new term in the NFL? Like <laughs> explain, explain what the cancel culture is. Yeah, well, I was I had it explained to my, my by my daughter, and uh, well, I guess it's just where everybody gets together and decides to. It's kind of a well, to me. I mean, it's almost like a an extreme form of bullying, yeah. right? You're you're trying to intimidate somebody out of their viewpoint, and if not that, out of their job, possibly. So, yeah, yeah and everybody is kind of feeling like, wow, I have to be really careful of not only what I say, but what I believe. And that's the one thing that really bothers me, you know, and I used to worry a lot about, you know, that um, uh, I would say something mm -hmm. stupid that would get me fired or whatever. But, you know, now all of a sudden I feel like for a lot of people it's becoming, you know, I'm more fearful of what I believe and, and that that's when, you know, where people are coming after. And I think it's really more of a sociological phenomenon because of the lockdown we're really only seeing each other I compared it to this, Ryan, if you're in traffic and you're in a car and somebody cuts you off, you're way more likely to flip them off or yeah. scream and yell and honk than if you are in line at Safeway where yeah. you, you don't have this barrier of a car and there's something about people's attitudes change, you know, and, and if somebody rams their cart into you, you're not going to scream at them and yeah. You know, don't have a horn you, to honk and flip them off. But are you I mean, saying because because the car is basically like your 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 um, shield? In, yeah, in other words, exactly. in, in other words, on Twitter, for example, or Instagram, yeah. whatever it is, whatever the latest is, with not in person with kids. Yeah, not in one thousand percent. I see that all the time. Right. I I got two examples of that. And first of all, you mentioned this cancel culture where it's like a mob mentality. Where at, the thing is with Twitter, and this is what I find: you might have a big opinion, or, or you may you might agree with if someone makes a comment and you're like, Oh, cancel that person. If that's what, if I'm using that term correctly, right. you read something, it costs nothing and zero effort to retweet that or write a little two sentence. But like you said, if you're at Safeway and someone comes bellowing out saying, I cancel that person, you're not going to go stand behind him and do the same <laughs> thing. Cause the effort yeah. and, and the confrontation is completely different. Right. Right. Yeah, I think it has a lot to do with Bob calls them, uh, Bob Stelton calls them keyboard heroes or keyboard right. warriors or something. They're real tough behind there. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, there's, I think we've got that like on blast now because yeah. everybody's at home and yes. everybody wants to have a voice. And it's giving a voice to people that you wouldn't normally give a voice to. Yeah. You know, um, and, 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 and with that too, pe people are addicted to attention. Right. No. I, I noticed that if someone who I know um, yeah, has a blog or something like that and they write something, they throw it out there, boom, all of a sudden it, it gets some reaction. Well, then all of a sudden there's that addiction factor. And that's what, I mean, Twitter and Instagram are built. There's an office building full of people creating a, 
you know, this thing to get, get you hooked, to get you in zombie mode and keep scrolling through that. And all of a sudden you get a bunch of likes and you said that with kids all the time too. They'll delete photos or delete their whatever if they don't get enough likes because it's an addiction mentality. And you said it's giving, and, and I'll get, look, I've got no problem to giving voice to everyone. That's fine. Sure. But the, let's all admit that there is that just that addiction factor when all of a sudden you get some hits, some retweets, whatever you want, retweets, likes or comments, boom, you're going to be more inclined to keep throwing these opinions out regardless of how you feel, because, more so because the the attention factor as opposed to how you really feel about something yeah well and since we've started doing radio uh, one of the things i've sent out to the texters and things like that is you know i always say please don't assume the worst in people right that, that's a really yeah. and you know to me it's a 90 10 you know 90 percent of people are good 10 percent yeah. you know maybe not so good. So, but just don't start off with the assumption. Like if I say something that you disagree with, don't start off with the assumption that I'm evil and yeah. bad and right. dumb and all this, just maybe listen yeah. a little bit. So, you know, and I think, and that goes both ways, certainly anybody that says anything to me and, you know, I, uh, you know, I had the benefit of, you know, I got a scholarship to Stanford and it was one of the best experiences I ever had, but I always say the the best the best thing about that place is that I left Stanford with way more questions than answers, way more questions. And it taught me how to, to think that way. And, and so, and I'm going to have my opinion and people might uh, disagree with it, but you know, I always feel like, Hey, no matter what, you should always give any opposing thought, at least some credit and some yeah. attention, you know? Do you, do you feel like you have a little bit more of a, of a respect if you are giving your opinion, whether it's on football or, or a social issue? Because you – look, Stanford, man, I grew up in Australia. I knew what Stanford was when I was 13 years old. I didn't quite know until we got our first baseball player in there, the process, how to get into that school, not on the field, off the field. Do you feel like you have the, you know, the fact that you went to Stanford? It's an you know, extremely high academic school – that you have some sort of respect factor or a pedigree behind a comment as opposed to someone else? <laughs> well, if somebody wants to... And, and where I'm getting with that, sometimes I'll make a comment. Everyone's like, dude, you didn't even go to college. Shut up. <laughs> it's like, that's, <laughs> no. that's where I'm getting at. Hey, well, one of the smartest people I know and uh, is my wife, Shannon, and she went right. to the School of Hard Knocks. Yeah, right. And um, she started her own business. She, you know, yeah. and thankfully we don't have a small business anymore because that, that's the thing, you know, if I was to support anything, small businesses are the lifeblood of this country. And mm -hmm. a lot of them, I have so much sympathy for people doing that. But no, she's one of the smartest people I've ever met. Yeah. And like I said, she went to Edmonds Community College for a while, but um you know, she's the genius in our household, I would say. Right. But, and, and here's, I'll tell you the Stanford thing. This is something my mom, like your mom, my mom always says, David, she calls me David, you know, stop, stop saying that. Stop selling yourself short because I always go, yeah, I went to Stanford, but I got in because I was a really good football player. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, but they still um, had to be, they still had, to, you couldn't, they couldn't just, you know, yeah. This, okay, because this is back, what, 1983? I think you... Yeah, 82. Uh, yeah, 82 was my first year. Yeah. By the way, my father-in-law is a huge Broncos fan. I need to ask you a couple of questions in a oh, second. Okay. Right, before yeah. I... Because I'll just straight up forget it. But um, but um, even but back then too, the, the, and even now and, and whatever, there was still that element. I mean, you, you, you must have been really academic in high school, right? Yeah, I... You know, it's funny... Um, my eighth grade at the end of my eighth grade, I was valedictorian. Mm -hmm. And then in ninth grade, 
I found football. And so that became my love. And so, you know, it was the first time I got a chance to play tackle football was, you know, my freshman year at uh, Wooster High School in Reno, Nevada. We were state champions in 1981. Anybody that listens to the show knows that. <laughs> I brag about it any chance I get. But, um, but yeah, that then, you know, and then I got A's. And I, I think in my, my class, I was like top 20 or top 30. So I went from valedictorian to like in the, you know, a range, whatever, but, you know, football was my love. And like I said, at Stanford, I mean, you know, I was, uh, I was an all American football player. I was an all American, um, national strength coaches association, all American. So, I mean, obviously I was putting a lot of time into football, mm-hmm. a lot of time into, uh, weightlifting and things like that. And then yeah. had maybe one of the worst knee injuries in college football history total dislocation okay. in 1984 and was told I would never play again. So it put a lot of time back, in. Then you came back and just, didn't you lead the, the what, what you led, I mean, I was just reading this this morning in tackles, right? Was it, was it Pac-10? It was Pac-10 back then, right? Yeah, yeah. Was it, did you lead the Pac-10 in tackles or, or it, which yeah. one was it? It was, something, it was something because I read that, I was like, hold on, knee injury. And I go back and, and obviously from being an athlete, you go back 80s, right? So I put this together, 80s, knee injury. Usually it's something that's like you won't play football. You be you get told you won't play again. Right. And then you went from that to killing it the next year and then getting, you know, second round draft pick into the NFL. So it's yeah. like, so man, whoever whoever did your surgery is a, is a oh. stud. Well, and it, actually it was a guy who was a Rose, Rose Bowl MVP for Stanford. He was a quarterback, Dr. Don Bunce. May he rest in peace. Uh, another guy named um, Bailing, Dr. Bailing. But yeah, I was at Stanford. I mean, I had the worst knee injury. It was in Arizona, so I had to yeah. fly home, you know, and they put me in a stretcher and everything. And, and on the plane, they had to put seats down and, you know, strap me wow. in. And it, was, and it was a big deal because I didn't have a pulse in my leg for about 30 minutes. And oh. they kept checking it, checking it, because that's what happens if you sever the nerve or the artery. Yeah it could lead to an amputation and there's been some college football players who have had that. But, um, the, the doctor after a while, he kept checking these points and I guess he finally got a pulse after 30 minutes and he goes, okay, you're going to be okay. And I looked at him never having had a knee injury before. I said, does that mean I can play next week? No. He looks at me and he's like, no, that does not what that means. So I found out later that I was in jeopardy for about 30 minutes of losing my leg. So, you know, it was a, it was a huge deal. And back then, like you said, the technology wasn't quite there, but I was at Stanford and I worked my tail off to get back. But my fifth year, senior year, I think it was all pac 10 and, you know, I don't know if I led the conference in tackles or what, but, um, but yeah, I worked my, my way back and then I got drafted in the second round and there were a lot of teams in the NFL that were just not going to draft me and the reason why is because they saw the film and the film which I made myself go back and watch but it's one of those really ugly injuries that you don't you want to look away from yeah so uh yeah so the Seahawks kind of took a chance on me and then uh yeah was that the was that the um was that the culture? And is that still the culture, man? I mean, I, and, and, and by the way, uh, one thing I say every offseason, once this offseason rolls around, I say to my wife every year, I'm like, I need to learn football. And it's not, I tell other people that. They're like, oh, well, there's four downs. And there's, no, no, no. I understand a game. And I think I've texted you a couple of times. And I said, hey, man, I need to sit down and watch football with you. Because you know, if I listen to you on the radio, I'm like, oh, man, locked in. Like everything you're saying is like, oh, that's, that's you know, I'm learning. I'm trying, I'm, I'm learning something. 
And I think even Mike Salk, when, when he said, Hey, if you want to host more radio, like daytime radio shows, you got to learn, you got to learn football. I right? obviously in Seattle, yeah. but, um, do you Anytime, like, brother. Yeah. Anytime. I, no, I, I need bring, to you bring it. over a half rack and we'll get it done. <laughs> yeah, let's do it <laughs> for sure. The, do you feel like that was in, in back in the eighties and the culture was, you just said that you just blew up your knee didn't even have a pulse and you're like, Oh, can I play next week? Do you have to have that back in that culture in that era of football? Do you feel like it's changed or that's the same? Would you still have a linebacker um, get on the plane, the same injury in 2020 and say the same thing? Can I play next week? It's a good, it's a good question. Um, and not to much, throw anyone under the bus. Cause I know no, no, no. you how much money the have they made would be my question. Right. right gotcha. Do they have 10 million in the bank? <laughs> Do they have 20 million in the bank? So that, what, what, what about a college kid then? Pac-12 kid, yeah. You know, it depends. You know, and I'll give you a, one good example. One of my favorite players on the Seahawks team is Trey Flowers. And he's a lanky corner who was a safety. Mm-hmm. And right now, everybody's thinking that he didn't have a great year. Although he had, I think, two or three interceptions and a couple sacks. But he had a lot of penalties, things like that. That guy is a throwback. He is one of those guys that will go into the trainer and say, hey, can I get shot up in my shoulder so I can play? You know, I mean, that, that's the kind of guy that he is. And the Seahawks have a tendency to find those. So to answer your question, yes, there are those guys. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely, there are. Um, but I think, you know, uh, the older you get and the more money you have, the less risk right. you want to take. Certainly. Gotcha. So, But, yeah, there are still some of those guys, Ryan. And I, it's a great question you ask because – you know, you're probably like me, you would do anything to, uh, to play. And, um, and so there are those guys out there right now. So, and I think the Seahawks do a really good job of getting them like Earl Thomas and Earl's always a little bit eccentric, you know, but he would always say, I'm married to football. Football's my wife, you know? And so, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's, there are, there are still those kinds of guys. And and I say, my, my dad was heavily involved. He was a strength coach for, um, you know, professional rugby teams, by the way, you haven't even noticed this, man. I got my, I got my Wallabies jersey on. If you, if you're, if you're not watching this guy, check it out. Yeah. (laughs) Looks like yeah. a NASCAR car or something. All the different well, advertisements on. It. Well, that, that's that's yeah, Australia. It's just flat out yellow pages on the jersey um, <laughs> advertising and everything else. Which, by the way, I love in the states that baseball. They might be switching that. I know the NBA started to trickle in a couple of advertising. But my dad says that all the time. He's like, "Oh, rugby players now, rugby league players are soft compared to back in the day." He said, yeah. "Back in the eighties, they used to have." guys that'd be they'd make them run with bricks in their hands and then they have to stop at these checkpoints and do like shoulder press and everything. he said now it's like they're all got the heart rate monitors on they're this everything's oh, yeah. monitored and if they go a little too hard they got to stop he's like it's just soft it's just a different mentality that's why yeah. i need to ask you but again you're working with a team so i don't want to be like you'd be like oh yeah they're soft and then you know people no, like, that's, yeah. there's a good amount of guys and and honestly one of the t- one of the maybe the stupidest things I've ever done, but it was something that I needed to do down in Scottsdale. There's a there's a a mountain, Cab- Camelback Mountain, yeah. And it was a one mile jog from my house. Now I didn't jog over, I drove over, but it's about a fifty minute climb to the top and back. Mm-hmm. And I did it in the middle of the day, and it was 120 degrees out, and right. I didn't take any water. 
And so, because I figured, <laughs> hey, look, man, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to die of thirst in 40 minutes. So I went up and I came back down. And the reason why I did it, like physiologically, that made no sense. That was stupid, right? <laughs> yeah. Why would you not have water? And I had yeah. people that were coming down off the mountain and I was the only one on the top because it was so yeah. hot. But they were like, hey, where's your water? Hey, and I'm like, yeah, I'm good, man. Thanks. But I just needed to prove that to myself mentally. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, um, yeah, there are... I think that there are guys that still kind of do that, but you're right about what your dad said. I mean, some of those things maybe didn't make sense carrying bricks around, but <laughs> you know, I mean, mentally that's something that you need like yeah. that. That's something I put in my back pocket, knowing that I did that, that when I was really tired in the fourth quarter, I may not, you know, consciously think about it, right. but I know that I did that. And that was something that, um, you know, that I needed to do, even if it didn't make sense. Yeah. And, and same thing, man, 2010, I, I was terrible. And, and with the Mariners, like just, and it was all in my head. And so that off season, I went and started. You were uh, terrible, but you were with the Mariners. I mean, yeah. come on, how terrible were you? You made I, a pro baseball team. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you know, what's funny about that. And I've, I've spoke to, you know, like Matt Boyd with the Tigers and, and, you know, Charlie Furbush recently. And we talked about just being present. Like there was times I was in the in the big leagues my, in 2010, I'm in the big leagues and I'm just miserable. And I look back, like, you know, look back now. I'm like, how the hell did I ever take that time for granted? I'm playing major league baseball. What am I doing? Like yeah. wasting my time just, but it, it was this thing where I was like, I just can't wait for the off season. I need to get out of here. I, I kind of, I, I, I got soft mentally. So that off season, when I, started doing MMA training just to not because it made no sense for baseball to be honest and I try even though I tried to, to um you know justify that oh you know and and rationalize that this is but it was just for my head I just needed to do something that took me out of my comfort zone I just feel like you know and and again not you know you just hear these stories of you know the 80s and 90s you talked about um your knee injury James Clifford who's a strength coach of the Mariners oh, yeah. Yeah, he he's had a good that linebacker at Washington, by the way. Right. He had that knee injury and that was it, man. I mean, and he talked a good about linebacker. Well, yeah. Yeah. He talked about that, that, that day and age, it was so touch and go, but that's, but he just, he wanted to get back on the field so hard, like so fast. You know what I mean? So again, and I'm not, you know, today's athlete, everything's different. I mean, everything's completely different. Everyone's, you know, feelings get hurt a lot easier and everything else. That's for sure. Hey, speaking of, and I, I wanted to ask you this, and I, my father-in-law will kill me if I forget. Now, he's a huge Broncos fan, so he was excited. I know he's listening to this. You wore number 57, right? Uh, what's, I'm going to make sure I got the Tom Jackson. Oh, yeah. Wore that. Was yeah. It, what was the reason behind wearing 57? Was your father-in-law mad at me? Because a lot of people were mad <laughs> at me for wearing Tom Jackson's number. Well, no, he said, he goes, he wore Tom Jackson, the you know, greatest linebacker of all time. His jersey, <laughs> that's a great number. He, he wasn't mad at you whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, what, what was the reason behind it? It had nothing to do with him, I take it. Did people were mad at you for wearing that number? Well, no, I didn't choose it. Um, oh, this was... Okay. I got there. I've been number 92 since college. They gave me 92 when I went to Stanford and I was like 92. And there was a, a guy there named Jeff Seaman that was, uh, had had, it was eerie. We had kind of a strange, uh, same path, but he's a pastor now. And, uh, but he was a really good linebacker at Stanford and that's why they gave me 92. So I wore 92 in, in, uh, with the Seahawks. And then when I signed my free agent contract, I got there and there was a guy who had 92. Yeah. So I was like, all right, I'll take 57. I like, I like the odd numbers and I thought it was cool. And I probably had my best year in the NFL wearing that number. But, but was there that, any reservation that you were taking someone's number who was a legend there at all? 
No, I didn't really think about that. And somebody said it in the paper one time, but it wasn't like that big of a deal back then. Like now it's a huge deal if, you know, everybody was mad that uh, Marshawn Lynch's <laughs> number was given away. And I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. It's just a number. But, right. um, but I'll tell you a funny story is I went back to 92 because I liked 57 and I had a really good year. And yeah. so uh, the next year, the day that my son was born, it was 92 degrees in Scottsdale. And no then, um, and the hospital where he was born was on 92nd Street. And then my son weighed nine pounds, two ounces. No way. Yeah. So wow. I was like, okay, I'm going back to 92. That's and then did, did nothing but have surgeries after that. So <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have. Blame your son. There. But yeah, exactly. It's his yeah, fault. Yeah, no. Yeah. You, you, resent, you haven't spoken to your son in years after that. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Hey, speaking of, and, and speaking of that, obviously you finished your career with the Broncos. You had a good fight. Like, cause I, I like to see transition out of careers. Everyone's like, Oh, you played football. You played baseball. Oh, life's just roses. The credits roll up and, and the movie's over and boom, you're good to go. You can just go play golf every day. But you had a good five years there. You weren't around the game. Was it, leaving football what first of all what made you like was it there was an injury was it what that last year when it's like all right this is time were you trying to get back in the game or were you like no i'm okay i tried to get back in for two years i actually had a workout um in green bay uh in 97 so my last year playing was 95 um but i don't want to be too dramatic but um i would wake up you know, for like two, three years after my career, because I didn't, I wanted to keep playing. Um, And I would have these dreams where a team calls me and it's the playoffs and their linebacker got hurt. And, and then, you know how dreams are. It was like, oh, I couldn't get there because I didn't have my socks or some stupid thing like that, you know, (laughs) but you know, I had, I had dreams like that for years after and I would wake up with like the most empty feeling. And I, again, I don't want to be too dramatic, but it was kind of like, you know, when the first football season started without me in 96, it was kind of like uh, standing on a, like a dock watching yeah. all of your friends and family and loved ones sail off right. in a ship away from you and you're left behind. It, it just, it, you know, almost feel like the football can't go on without me. Yeah. I've been doing this for, you know, eight, what, 18 years for me, including right. uh, high school. So, um, yeah, it was it was really tough, and it's a tough one to leave. I, I think one of the reasons, too, is that you can't really simulate anything. I mean, you can go throw yeah. a football around, but that's not what I did, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, basketball players can still go play and pick up games or yeah. play horse or whatever. And I suppose baseball, you can go and play softball. I mean, there's not really any um, – any football leagues or anything for people that still want to play. I suppose I could have done that, but I would have been dumb considering all the injuries, but I feel like it's something that you can't, you know, what I did was like, what could I do to, to simulate that? Maybe go run into parked cars or something. Well, or... <laughs> we've got, um, matter of fact, we've got some callers calling in right now. We're going to set up a couple of Seahawks fans. They want to line up and you just basically take them out down at the local park. There, there you go. Yeah. That, that might, that might, uh, you're right though. That, that's a good point, man. I mean, when you think about that, you can't, there's not really anything. You can just go set up tackle bags in the backyard and just rip yeah. in. Right. So, yeah, so, so, okay. How old were your kids at that point when you have, when, when, when that, when that, you know, that ship left the dock and you were standing there at the start of the season, 95. How old were your kids at that point? I'm trying to do the math. They were like two and four. So they were born in 94 and 96. So my, my wife actually brought my infant son to a game one time in 95. But, you know, he didn't really have any recollection of that. And, 
and now mostly my kids just make fun of me for uh, like all the old hokey um, football cards and stuff like that. Right. They always write little notes on there and give me a hard time. And I'm just dad. And that, that to me yeah. is very cool, but I, I kind of wish that they could have seen yeah. me play, but I, I don't think that they, uh, yeah, they don't, uh, my son was the only one and he probably didn't have much of a recollection of that. My um, uh, 2017, I played in the World Baseball Classic for Australia, and, and I was like, I want to play to make sure Kennedy can 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 witness me play, and hopefully it gets etched. In, she won't remember, but hopefully it gets etched in stone somewhere down there. Because I don't want to just keep telling, oh, hey, Dad played baseball, or, you know, whatever. She's like, yeah, they're great, whatever. Because yeah. like, I, I get you know, I get jealous of some of these dudes whose kids they're you know six, seven, they got the jersey, they got the glove on in the stands, and they're watching yeah. Dad play. It's like, oh man, I miss that boat. But, and, and my mom's like, she's not going to remember this because I was like, oh, Kennedy's watching me play. But even just back to you, when, so 95, there must have been those periods that you said, first of all, you're waking up having these weird dreams. It was there that there must have been not this depression, but this unknown, you had no idea basically what, I mean, you had options. I mean, you had a, you know, you're graduating from Stanford. So there's things you could have done, but you said nothing really emulates the feeling of playing football. Yeah. There must have been that fear of the unknown or, or a little bit of depression there going on that, you know, plus you got a four, a four and a two-year-old, you know, two kids in the house, yeah. spend way more time at home when it's the middle of football season, all these little things and not, not to keep bringing up all these, but there must have been that, those times there where you're like, what, what do I do now? Who am I? What's my identity? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, um, and and then there was a period, it was kind of like going through the, the stages of grievance or whatever, but eventually I got mad at football and I ignored it, uh, you know, see how they do without me. They did just fine without yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's kind of how you feel. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do something that's entirely opposite. Nothing that has anything to do with football. I'm never going to coach again. I'm never going to watch games. I'm not going to do anything. So I went and um, got my series seven and uh, became a financial advisor at Merrill Lynch. And I did right. that for like six years and then ended up just hating it. Um, but <laughs> was, was, I, there, was, was there any moment during that where you're like, oh, this is very fulfilling or it just didn't, just didn't check the box at all? No, I always, I like telling the story uh, one time when I was uh, like in my first year. So I was basically like trying to study for the test to get the, you know, the license so I could, you know, buy and sell stocks and things like yeah. that. And I was down in Scottsdale, so nobody really knew who I was. And then the other thing is people have always underestimated how big uh, or how much I weigh or whatever. Right. I just told the other day on the air, I fooled one of those uh, carnival guys. by I, I beat him by like 25 pounds. Right. I was like 250, and he thought I was 220. So I didn't look like a football player, in right, other words. Gotcha. So, and I'm walking around the office, and they're just looking at, okay, here's a 33-year-old rookie here. So at the one point, yeah. one of the um, – one of the uh, uh, secretaries down there at Merrill Lynch, she points to me and she goes, excuse me, what are you doing? And I said, uh, I'm just going back to my desk to study. And she's like, I need you to cover my phones. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I'm sitting there at the front desk saying, you know, thanks for calling Merrill Lynch. How can I direct oh, yeah. your call and figure out how to do that? This is like three years after like I was, uh, I got a sack on a Monday night football game and I like floated <laughs> off the field and I'm like, look at me now, three years later, right. I'm answering phones like an intern. So, I mean, it was one of those kind of, th I think it was necessary. I mean, I was glad that happened because you just realize, well, once it's over, 
you know, it, yeah. it's nobody, nobody really is. And now, you know, when people come up and actually, you know, say, Hey, I remember when you played, I'm like, really? Wow. You must have a really good memory because that was like a whole lifetime right. ago. So. Do, you, do, you, do you feel like too, and, and I listened to you on the radio, do you feel like you have to sort of sharpen that sort of remembering what it was like to be a linebacker? If you were doing an you know, analyst, um, yes. because it's like, oh man, I, I get so far removed. I find that when I, if I'm coaching a kid, that just brings me back to like just the, the science of pitching, for example. If I don't right. have that for a few months, I'm like, you kind of just forget. It's like, oh, he needs to keep his front shoulder closed or something. I'm like, what am I saying right now? So do you feel like you, 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 there has to be something there to sharpen that sword to, to sort of to remember you know the game? Because it has been a while since you played. Yeah, well, and yeah, I try to watch as much film and, you know, and I'm surrounded with a bunch of really good football people. You know, I talk to Ray Roberts, I talk to Paul Moyer, probably one of the best and, you know, and we just kind of go through and look at plays and things like that. Um, so, yeah, and it's not in entirely different. Like a lot of times people go, oh, yeah, look at this concept, you know, um, what was the the quarterback running? What did they call that? The wildcat I'm like, right. that's the single wing from Worcester High School in 1979. You know, I mean, I used to run that offense. So right. a lot of um, a lot of the stuff repeats itself. And, and everybody likes to talk about the fancy new plays in science. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen that before. I've seen that yeah. before. But, you know, as far as being an analyst, Ryan, here's the one thing I will never do. And I got this from Carl Mecklenburg, who, uh, which your father-in-law liked this. He, he was a linebacker for um, – at, at uh, Denver in Denver when I was out there and I think he's a hall of famer, mm -hmm. but um, whenever he would hear an ex player kind of, uh, you know, criticize too harshly another player, he'll, <laughs> he would say that guy got the player lobotomy. <laughs> and I've, I've always sworn I will never get the player lobotomy. I'm never going to forget. I always take the side of the players. And yeah. a lot of times when people go, that guy's terrible. Look at that play he made. I'm like, do you know how hard that is? Yeah. You know, and like Chuck Knox used to say, that guy gets paid too. So that's one thing I've tried to, I'm always going to side with the players. Mm -hmm. Not always, but I mean, for the most part, that's where I'm going to start because, mm -hmm. and I'll never forget that because you know how hard it is, you know, and Chuck Knox used to always say, Hey, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And, uh, actually he used to say, if this was easy, there'd be so many suckers parked in the parking lot at the kingdom. You wouldn't be able to find a spot. That's what Chuck <laughs> Knox used to say. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I don't ever want to forget that. And I think yeah. that helps in the analysis, you know, to look at it from the player's yeah. perspective, how difficult it is. You ever worry though, too. And, you know, I had to ask some people how to go about this right way. If you do want to be critical of a player, because you, I mean, you, I mean, you travel with the team, right? Yeah. Like last, like last year you were traveling with the team. All so right. you could get on the plane back and forth and, and they check their Twitter or they check some sound bite and stuff like that. Yeah. You don't ever want to be, get caught because you still have to maintain that relationship yeah. to be able to ask them questions and everything else. You know what I mean? All right. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. And, you know, I, I think, I'm trying to, to walk that, that line, yeah. but you know, I, I just don't think any player ever wants to do that. So a lot of times I'll say, Hey man, that guy will tell you first before anybody else that he should have made that play, Yeah, you know, but, but then a lot of times, like I said, I'll look at what, what, what the other guy do. Well, that was maybe one of the best moves I've ever seen, you know, Super Bowl 49 when, when I don't say Russell, through an interception on the one yard line, I say Malcolm Butler made maybe the best, most impossible play I've ever seen. Right. And, yeah. you know, because he didn't even, he didn't even react. He didn't bounce off of 
uh, lock Ricardo Lockett. He just, he just made an incredible yeah. play. And so I, what I try to do is look at that from that mm. standpoint, if a guy gets beat, just, you know, and especially on the broadcast, of course, yeah. because look, it's, you know, it's the team broadcast. So we're, yeah. we're not going to, but I, you know, I've gotten to know these guys and I care about them. And, yeah. you know, so when you look at it from, from that standpoint, it's more like, Hey, this guy, his opponent there made a really good play or, you know, you just try to say, hey, man, he's, he's got to, he's got to try to do better than that. So, and, and that's not, you know, that's not going too far, but yeah, I just will, I will never um, criticize too harshly players just because, and you know, maybe that's not great for our talk show, but it's yeah. really how I feel. It's yeah. really, I feel like I know how hard it is. And again, not having taken the player lobotomy, I, I'll always feel that way. I know how difficult it is for these guys. Um, CJ Nikowski, he's the color analyst for the um, Texas Rangers. And I've always bounced questions off him. But he said to me, I said, hey, man, how do you cover a team that's like in a rebuilding? So you're going to have a bunch of young players or guys who aren't doing well. Or like Felix, for example. Everyone knows that Felix wasn't like at his peak, his prime the last couple of years. He was with the Mariners. He said, dude, just say like this. Just say, you know, if, if someone messes up a young player, he made a really good point. I've used it a bunch. So if you've heard, if you listen to this, if you've heard me say it, this is where it comes from. He said, you know, like JP Crawford would be the first to tell you that he made yep. that, you know what I'm saying? And that just makes it, what <laughs> puts them in the, and basically, oh, they would have said that too. You know, so speaking of, you know, getting back in, so you, you basically said screw football. The, the ship had left the dock that last year, that opening day. And I've been there too, man. I remember I was with the Astros, like a DFA, and I saw everyone in their suits going off to opening day in Philadelphia. And the bus, I'm on the phone like telling someone, hey, my agent or whatever. I see this bus roll past me. I'm like, I'll oh, see you guys. I'm out the, outside of the, you know, the, the stadium down there in Houston. It was the most lonely, just empty feeling watching that. Yeah. So you go, you know, what, five years or so, what got you back in? What got you into broadcasting? How'd that all, did you reach out to someone or did someone contact you? Because I mean, when you sort of separate, you don't want to have too many years in between not playing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And um, well, I'll tell you what, Dave Pearson, who's the vice president for, for the Seahawks, uh, I've known since 1989. He was an intern when I was playing and oh I, I happened, we all really liked him because he was a smart ass and he's really funny and one of the funnier people I know, but he, he is one of the guys that um, contacted me. Um, and then Paul Moyer and Dory Monson, you know, they, they called me one time for a pregame show and then started having me on uh, more regularly. And then in 2004, like I said, Dave Pearson asked me to, uh, to do the pre and postgame radio shows. And I loved it. And I realized, you know, at that point enough time had passed that like, yeah. I, I love football and this is a great way to be around it. And, you know, I'm pretty good at describing things. And I remember things, you know, and a lot of, use a lot of stories. A lot of people that listen to my show are tired of my stories, like the 1981 <laughs> Worcester high school state. Football <laughs> no, but, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it suited me and it was a way to be around and you probably found this too, Ryan, that like, you know, after your the sting goes away that you mm -hmm. feel like it's a good way to, I like explaining it to people. And that's, I'll tell you one, one thing that I try to always do I don't like the analysts that use the fancy lingo, you right. know, like, and yeah. I always make fun of this. Oh, it's single high safety. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Is it cover three? Is it cover yeah. one? Because those things can be explained very easily. Mm -hmm. You know, cover yeah. three is you have three defenders covering the deep part of the field. 
and everybody else is dropping underneath. I mean, you can, you can uh, do I'll, the numbers. I'm, I'm writing this down. So, uh, it's yeah, we'll, we'll get to that when you bring that <laughs> yeah, half rack over. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But I mean, it's, it's not rocket science, you yeah. know. And so I've always tried to, you know, keep it simple and try to explain. Because what you want to do as an analyst, you want to bring the game to people. Mm-hmm. You want that. And that's the best way to get more fans is, you know, a lot of people will shut it out because, oh, it's too confusing. But, you know, I've done a thing for the Seahawks um, for a breast cancer awareness thing that they've had where I, there's a room full of 150 women and I've gotten up and done like, you know, and, and here's what I always say. Women, listen, they actually right. listen. Guys will go, oh, I already know that. Gotcha. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sure. And so, um, you know, they um, it, it's been really fun for me to, to do that. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how I approach it is like. You, you want to bring the game to people. You don't yeah. want to talk over their heads. You don't want to use some kind of fancy lingo. Whenever somebody uses something like that, I always go, what's that mean? Or why don't you explain to everybody what that means? Because, you know, sometimes <laughs> people use it as a weapon to, yeah. like, look how smart I am. Yeah. And I just, I oppose that. I'm, I, I really, it's one of my pet peeves. Yeah. It really is. So, you know, I, I just think um, if you really know something well, then you should be able to explain it. So that's yeah. kind of how uh, I approach the the broadcasting part of it. What um do were you still doing the financial stuff when you slowly you know seeped into broadcasting, or did you just like ah oh, I'm done with this I'm going full steam ahead because I mean it's financially it's you know you, obviously you you're probably getting you know getting making some headway you know income wise with yeah. the uh, the financial stuff because I know for me man like everyone everyone just assumes that the Mariners contact me oh you done playing I'll oh, come up no I had to I had to like. You grind were, my way out to try and get on tv and they're like sorry we're all we're all full i'm like just give me and the, literally my boss at root sports said oh you're living in los angeles i oh, would can you get down to san diego you can jump on for 20 minutes and then i just boom try and try and snowball from that but i had to you know it was not it wasn't this big financial thing where i was like oh here you go well oh, yeah so- you start off working for free and yeah. working for peanuts is how you yeah. do it right yeah for yeah. sure. Um, okay, one, uh, before I let you go, I've got to ask you this because I know uh, some of my Aussie friends who <laughs> watch, yeah, you know, they watch the NFL. They call, by the way, it's called Gridiron back in Australia. It oh, used really? to be. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like such an idiot saying this. But you, so your wife, right, she was a, uh, she was a cheerleader, yeah. right? Yep. So I, I picture this in a buddy of mine because I, I was, he, he, he knows who you are. And I said, oh, yeah, by the way, like we're going through your bio. He goes, oh, dude, ask him about how, how he met his wife. Because I'm, I'm picturing like it's a Tuesday. You've got like the mid-drift, like the, the, the training, the practice jersey on with the giant pads. And, yeah, she's doing a thing over here. you got the hair slicked, the helmet off. How do you guys meet, how do you, guys meet you and your wife? Oh, uh, this is a tragic <laughs> story. Uh, I, I always, like the second I saw her when I came to Seattle, I was like, wow, that, right. you know, but – I was not what you would call a player, okay, Brian? I was terrible. I could not talk to women and said some of the stupidest things ever. And this is an old story, but I'll tell it anyway. Uh, We ended up doing an appearance together one time. So sometimes, you know, they'd get a couple Seahawk players to go to a car dealership. And then, you know, a couple Seagals would be there. And so I was there one time with her and I was trying to talk to her and I didn't know what to say. I was trying to think of things. And so I asked her about cheering. But what was their rule? Like you're not supposed to like, 
supposedly. Yeah, yeah right. It was you. frowned okay. upon that you weren't gotcha. supposed to interact with the. Although gotcha. my coach Rusty Tillman married a sea gal, Paul gotcha. Moyer, who were still best of friends with uh, Heather and Paul Moyer. Heather was a a cheerleader, right. and she and actually they helped set me up with Shannon. But before that happened, here's the most awkward thing ever, and I don't know about you, Ryan. Probably a lot easier for you to get girlfriends than me, but I'm, I'm super um, awkward. Uh, yeah, one of the no things idea. that super I was awkward. asking her about, I was trying to ask her like questions, like, okay, well, I, I here's the thing, and your wife hopefully found that charming, but that's what my wife found it very charming. So, hey, D- Dave, real uh, quick, that that just cut out. Can you can you can you just yeah. go? I can't believe in, in on the on the the okay the peak of that story. Just, just go back to um after you, fuck, that just literally froze up. Just go back to after you said, oh, you know, hey, Ryan, you can probably get girls. And I'll just I'll just edit it. That's easy. Yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, for me, I, I was just looking for things to, to talk about with yeah. my wife. And so I honestly, this is what came out of my mouth. So, you know, I was talking to her and I said, oh, so uh, what do you guys do after uh, you're cheering? And she goes, well, sometimes we go up into the suites and say hi to like sponsors and stuff. And out of my mouth, unbelievably came, well, don't you get sweaty? <laughs> seriously that's what i said and then and then i'm just in my mind going oh you idiot and then you know what she said to me she goes we don't sweat we perspire in this charming little voice I'm like, she just bailed me <laughs> out well, come back she totally she did, bailed yeah, me she out. did and, and yeah. just straight so that's class. when i thought there was a there was a chance <laughs> i had a chance and then i found out like later i drove a bronco uh you know ford bronco i had a dog she liked yeah. that i um decorated for christmas even though i was a single guy and you know i thought that she wanted she would you know be dating this european male model driving a porsche and yet she liked this uh bogan uh, (laughs) who drives uh you know had she liked that i had a dog and and you like you, you just said you like decorating for christmas what, so we talking all the stuff in the front yard? Is that what you're talking about? The lights like Griswold well, or what? Yeah. Well, yeah. And especially I do it now because if you have kids, the kids want yeah. that. But this was back when I was single. So I okay. would go get a tree oh, every really? year. I'd put it up. I'd get Christmas lights. I'd put Christmas lights around the house. And she knew that I was single and lived there alone. So she liked that part. I mean, stupid little things like that that, you know, that I never thought would have gotten me a girlfriend but yeah. uh yeah it all worked out so what year was this so you were playing for the seahawks what how many years into the your career were you about four years four okay. years in, i met shannon and then you know we we started dating did, did you have to keep it season you had to keep it like quiet like could could you tell people you were dating or like yeah i mean i think it was one of those things that just was kind of frowned upon yeah but right shannon was like one of the captains or whatever and i know gotcha. the the head gal just loved her but then she stopped doing it the next year in 92 yeah. when i played in seattle right and then we got married in 93 and went off to denver so poor shannon my wife i mean uh she uh got married got pregnant and got yanked out of her hometown all within like three or four <laughs> months and didn't know anybody had right. to you know had to coordinate our move out to denver she didn't know anyone there i mean it was that was a tough first year of marriage for her that's for and then on and and as well as that she goes to denver and she's probably you know she's going to a game or something she's probably watching the cheerleaders do their thing and there she is yeah with a kid she's like oh what just happened yeah i just pulled the plug on yeah (laughs) 
and she's probably critiquing too, going, oh, you know, but, but it, it, it's amazing because I felt the same way with Amanda. We were living in LA. I just moved all my crap into her place in LA and like, oh, here I am. And then boom, yeah, she's trying to pursue her thing and she was, she's acting and here I come just complete distraction. And yeah, she's got <laughs> uproot, you know, we've got kids uproot to, you know, to, um, to Seattle and everything else. I'm like, yeah, that was kind of my fault. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah. So but, when you uh, ask her to marry, like, were you like me? Like, are you sure you want to marry me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty much. It's like, uh, are you sure you want to go down that road? But uh, hey, Dave, this has been awesome. Mate. I, um, and, uh, I'm glad we finally got that. I'm going to take you up on that offer too. I'm going to be over there in, uh, at your place and you're going right. to, you're going to give me the ins and outs. I'm going to sit there with a, um, and just start ripping on American sport you know not publicly no i'm just kidding I'm no kidding. you can say what a bunch of babies there yeah. why they, why do they got to wear those helmets and pads you know what? exactly yeah. yeah you ever played you ever played rugby or no no, no <laughs> i would end up bashing my head in probably because yeah i mean that's the thing you know when you you have a helmet i mean you're gonna hit people i mean I help, yeah. my helmet was my weapon and yeah. i know you're not supposed to do that now but yeah. the only thing i wanted to hit on an opposing player when he came to block me was his head with my yeah. head you right. know so that's a different philosophy nowadays oh yeah for sure um awesome dad hey i appreciate it, man and i really uh, enjoyed it yeah i'll, Thanks, I'll catch i'll catch you tuesday at 3 30 on, on uh bob bob it's still bob dave and and more bob, dave and more yep. all right i didn't mess that you up you know yet. we always say that like if we decide to get rid of jim we'll just take an o out <laughs> because it's m-o-o-r-e right, you yeah. say bob dave and more yeah, yeah so hey yeah uh, awesome go. awesome mate. Thanks, I, I appreciate it yeah that was great thanks man what's up guys hope you enjoyed that episode with dave wyman what an absolute legend i'm gonna have him on again for sure we had way too much stuff to cover always that i always get to my little time limit i can try and keep it around an hour i've just got to, way too much stuff to say but uh, i'll have him on again for sure anyway baseball's about to start up pretty soon can't wait make sure you hit me up on www.thetopstep.com you can message me ask me for requests stories everything um and make sure you click that subscribe button i know i say it all the time sound like a broken record but this has been a blast i love doing my podcast i mean it's awesome feedback uh it's a lot of fun i want to keep doing it uh so help it out all right guys we'll see you next week on the top step killing them killing them killing them killing them killing them